I've been playing outdoors since I was a kid, standing by the front door at around two years old, hollering, side, side, trying to get my mom to let me go play outside. Now, after 30 plus years working in the outdoor business, I'm dropping insider conversations every week with brand leaders, guides, marketers, CEOs, and others that make the outdoor business a trillion dollar juggernaut that drives product innovation, revenue, and public policy for everything outdoors. I'm Rick Says. Welcome to the Outdoor Biz Podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host, joined, as always, by MTM's managing editor, Mark Osterman. And back with us this week from uh, Florida in Disney World, Joe Chung from As the Joe Flies. It's been a few weeks since the three of us are back together. Good to see both of you. Hey, hey. What's up? up? Everyone's home, too. Amazing. Yeah, that's true. First time for that in a while. Today, uh, the mask mandate dropped for my kids in school, so they're pretty excited about that. A little bit back to normal. Do you think the coming back in, the testing to to return to U.S. drops first, or the mask mandate on planes drops first? What's your guess? I would have testing. to say, I think testing, yeah. Testing, yeah. yeah. Testing, testing, one, two? Yeah, testing, testing, one, two, three. I think that goes away first. Someone told me that no one in their middle schoolers took off their masks because they were too embarrassed of how they looked. Not for any... Uh, <laughs> they forgot to shave or pandemic something? <laughs> you know, they're just middle schoolers. They're probably, I mean... It's it's funny, but it's also like sad. It's like I think that's like the anxiety that this is all created and stuff like that. My wife and I we say all the time that when kids remove their masks, we're like, "Whoa, that's what that kid looks like." And almost always, it's worse than you imagine in your head. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's been good for British people, you know, because the teeth. Oh, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of awkwardness, I guess. For, for you don't think about like all the repercussions. Yeah, kids. Some of these kids probably never seen each other's faces. Yeah, it's true. If you go to middle school and, you know, you started there in sixth grade when all this started and you're in seventh, eighth grade now and you well, haven't and you seen have some acne people's faces. And yeah. True. And you have acne and stuff too. Like, I mean. It's, it's called so. ma- mask knee. Nice. Oh, actually, yeah, I wore a mask so much last week, but a different one than I normally wear that I did start getting a zit on my nose. So it's a real thing. Rudolph, baby. The, the, the troubles uh, of the uh, pandemic. But it is good to see that things are starting to loosen up a little bit. And it certainly seems like the travel industry is rebounding. And have you guys seen cash prices of hotels lately? Like just looking into the future, it's it seems insane. like, yeah, the, across the board, they're just at insane levels. Yeah, I was looking for if baseball ever comes back, which who knows um, this year or when it will. But I was looking at like a weekend trip to Chicago to hit a couple stadiums with Connor. And, you know, Chicago is usually a pretty affordable city. Like a lot of times I've gone there and paid more in parking than the, the room was. And yeah, because there's like a million hotels. Yeah. And everything there was five to six hundred dollars a night. And I was like, what? I know just the first weekend of June, like school's not even out yet. It's not prime time summer season for that in Chicago, which, you know, is is great in the summer. But I don't know. In Vegas, everything flights. I've seen flights have been sky high for most places. Just checking to go visit my parents in Florida over the next couple of months and nothing for decent prices. It's bizarre. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to get off my uh, last minute travel. uh stuff and start locking some stuff in and then hopefully you know maybe demand doesn't end up being quite what they want or when they're charging these high prices and prices come down or this does open up some opportunity last minute but i wouldn't be leaving it up to chance if you can you know try to get some stuff uh, locked in that's what i did for uh the meetup in vegas that we're doing with the diamond lounge and the flight back i had to book at like 6 a.m on a sunday and it's 
I definitely do not want to have to get on that flight. But it was the 350 and everything else was like 400 450 $500. And that's one way. So I'm hoping prices change. And that's kind of the nice thing with, uh, you know, free cancellations and stuff like that. If they do change or I, I switch to another flight, you know, I can do that without fees. So it is good to lock in, uh, especially with those rules the way they are. You're not sleeping that last night for sure. <laughs> Just roll in. Rolled to the airport. That's why I do like like Red Eyes home from Vegas. And I had thought about maybe doing it Saturday night, you know, go in there a little bit boozed up and just pass out on the plane. But I don't know. I hope I don't have to fly. I really do. The only problem with that is, you know, you wake up like mid-flight with like a hangover and you start that there could be a really miserable few hours in the middle of the night. But maybe, yeah, you probably just sleep it off. I hate Red Eyes going east, but it's usually because I'm leaving home. So that's the beginning of my trip, not the end. Yeah, they're perfect for me because I feel like you don't lose the day when you're flying west to east. You know, I always feel like like flying home Sunday. If I don't leave early in the morning, I like lose all of Sunday. If you leave at noon from Vegas and you get home, it's like, you know, bedtime for the kids, basically. So I like overnights because you kind of get a couple hours of sleep. You go home, you sleep a little bit more, but you basically don't lose that. You feel like you don't lose that time so much. You and your red eyes. Well, speaking of red eyes, I kind of did like a reverse red eye home from Dallas. On the last show, I was talking about how I was stuck in Dallas with the ice storms and thankfully uh, insurance should cover everything. We filed the claim, so I don't have any follow-up to that, but I will follow up to let people know how that process went. But we flew home leaving Dallas at like 11 PM. So then we get here, you know, right around midnight Vegas time, 2 AM. So it's almost feels like a a red eye there, but thankfully I didn't uh, pay another price with frontier. They got it. They got us home. Even if it took us like almost two days and we ended up, you know, holding up in the hotel in Dallas doing work like we were going to do anyway. So I could see it being a lot more stressful if you were like if we had an appointment or we had something specifically we had to do. But thankfully that worked out good. And we didn't do much in Dallas at all because it was so darn cold outside. And having come from Florida right before that, we were used to that beautiful Florida weather, Joe. And uh, 30 degrees in like ice outside was not uh, not something I wanted to deal with uh, in Dallas. So. Now I know what Mark uh, has to deal with on a daily basis. I I feel your pain, Mark. But how is Florida, Joe? How Joe the... too. I mean, it's not like Joe lives in, in a warm place. Well, that's that's true. That's true. How is was Florida though? It was, the weather was hot, man. It was body glide all day, every day. It was like high eighties. I uh, forgot to bring shorts for my son. I forgot to pack what? shorts for him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was really bad. Turns out I packed like one pair of pajama shorts, which was like one size too small for him. But that poor oh, kid. Oh, you were that you were that parent at Disney with pajamas on, weren't you? Not me. Just <laughs> yeah, my but, kid. Yeah, my that's kid. what I'm saying. You're that parent. <laughs> yeah. So you managed to get the first two days he could wear long pants because it was like high 70s. But then it was like 80s the rest of the week. And it was it was straight up hot. And it was so crowded. It felt like summer. Not as humid as normal in summer, but it, it felt like summer crowds. And I just saw that uh, February was Disney's most crowded month in the last two years. And we felt that last week. It was it was nuts. That reminds me of a story. Me and uh, Kirsten were traveling somewhere. So the uh, kids were with her parents. And as grandparents are watching the kids, they send photos every day of like what they're doing or whatever. And they send a photo of, of our kids. And one of them were like, what, where are you right now? And they're like, we're at the museum. And you're like, you realize those are pajamas that you put, you dressed her in, right? They're like, oh, I thought it was a, an outfit. We're like, no, she's walking around a museum in pajamas. One thing I wanted to talk about was, you know, we had a storm, first, first of all. I left my car at uh, my in-laws place and I checked the weather before we left on Saturday and I was like, oh, the weather looks great. So don't worry. Leaving the car at your house isn't going to be a problem. Of course, by Tuesday, there was a forecast of like a foot of snow on Friday, the day we were supposed to come back. So my poor 
73 year old father-in-law had to like dig our car out to pick us up at the airport. So definitely felt bad about that, but also did not want to hang out at the airport for however long the delays were going to be on that Friday, if our flight even got out. So we actually ended up changing our flight to Saturday. JetBlue offered free changes and stayed at the Hyatt Regency MCO for a night. And that hotel is really cool. I was telling you guys offline. I feel like I want to stay there the night before I leave Florida, like every trip down there from now on. It was a super cool hotel. Yeah, it stinks that it's going up to Category 4 because it is a great hotel location. The rooms are decent, nice pool. Did you guys get a chance to swim? No, we didn't get in until 8, and our flight was at 6. Um, so we had to like wake up at like 4.30. Actually, we woke up too early. but I, I was, was going to say, a little if you're at the airport, why are you waking up at 4.30? I was paranoid. I was like, I was paranoid that TSA pre-check would be closed. It was not, by the way, it was fine. And then I was paranoid that if we missed our flight because of all the cancellations the day before, by the way, our original flight did make it out and was only two hours delayed. But, you know, who could have known that in uh, hindsight or foresight or whatever. And so I was paranoid about missing that flight because all the flights were booked up. And we wouldn't be back until Tuesday or Wednesday. And while I would have loved to stay in Florida, I think, you know, we ended with Jess being happy enough with the trip. But if I had to have made her stay like three or four extra days in Florida and miss work, she would uh, never have forgiven me. So I was glad we got out. It was great to be at the hotel. And of course, Disney World was a lot of fun despite all the crowds. Plus, Orlando has like the worst TSA setup in in the entire country. It's just... It's stupid. That's why I was paranoid about TSA PreCheck, because I knew if TSA PreCheck was closed, you know, we were screwed. It was like going to be 40 minutes of waiting in the TSA line, and I did not want to do that at all. That's one airport where, just like Denver, where clear makes a difference. Like, I think the last time I flew out of there, TSA PreCheck was a 30-minute line in Orlando, and clear got me right to the front of the line. So while I don't use clear that often, or I haven't had the need to, like in Vegas, I don't see, like, there's not huge lines. I love I love Orlando using definitely. it in Detroit to jump to the front of the vacant line with no people in it. <laughs> yeah, that's basically how it is in Vegas. But in Orlando and Denver, too, both those places, I noticed that clear was a big savings. But you want to talk a little bit about your points and miles, like what you like, where you stayed on the trip, how you use miles and points for it? I used zero miles and points. It's all, <laughs> all Disney gift cash, cards. homie, and way too much cash. Yeah, uh, it was a lot of Disney gift cards as well that I'd been – this is our first full family Disney trip since 2019, like summer of 2019. And even that, we were only there for like a day. So this is like the first real trip we've had as a family. And so I have been stockpiling like thousands of dollars in Disney gift cards for quite a long time. Various, you know, BJ's deals, when Chase Freedom is 5X, a lot. I can't even remember where all these gift cards came from. Should have saved, that. I... Should have saved that money for the Star Wars hotel. Mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, um, I don't want to talk too much about the Star Wars hotel, but that ticket has gotten really hot ever since the media went there last week on their hosted cruises so we may not want to spend six thousand dollars on that but uh, a lot of people do and i was i calculated out literally only one percent of people who go to hollywood studios need to want to do that so you know they're catering to the one percent so that is what it is if you do want to do it you can reach me at as the joe fly <laughs> joseph chung at travelmation.net <laughs> We're going to talk later in the show about independent media and stuff like that. And it was interesting to to see when in relation to the to the Galactic Star Cruiser, you know, how much backlash there was within the Disney community at media, at influencers for going and taking it. And the truth is, whether anybody wants to say it or not, if you are a smaller 
media outlet or influencer and you say bad things about Disney, they will not invite you to press events. There's plenty of people who have gone through that, come out the other side. But that doesn't mean that everything coming out of there wasn't true. And, you know, people did cover it with enthusiasm and there were some cool things to see. And then, of course, the media hyped it. But, you know, there's media events for all kinds of stuff and the media goes for free and does it. So it's not like that's anything different. I'm really looking forward to seeing the opinion of people who paid five or $6,000 at the end because having been on media stuff myself, I just understand that the narrative isn't quite the same coming out of that when people aren't paying, when they don't have the perspective of, you know, planning something, looking forward to it for, for the amount of money they are, and then does it, does it deliver? But there are some cool things with it, and it was interesting to see that uh, deluge of uh, coverage this week and some of the backlash. I think that even like shows up when you use, you know, miles and points or, or pay cash, like the story I talked about last week with the connecting room and how we left. If I had paid $200 cash or $150 cash, we would have stayed and and suffered and, and been upset about it. Where when you use points, even though it does have a value, you're, you're more likely to be like, okay, I'll let that slide this, this slide. So I think we even, even anybody listening can see the difference, you know, when you're doing something that doesn't cost you out of pocket versus does and, and how much that affects your, your opinion of a place. I think the other interesting thing kind of a corollary to that is when you do spend that much money though, especially the people who are going next week who spend that much money, but like have podcasts or are bloggers or stuff like that, you feel pressure to make the money feel worth it. Unless you're like a contrarian blogger, someone who says, I don't know that they don't like high globalists or some monster <laughs> like that. Like, unless you're that kind of person, you know, you're, you're going to, you're going to feel pressure when you spend a lot of money on something, you feel pressure to like it. Regard, even if you're not writing about it. So it's just really interesting um, kind of everything that's coming out of that. And I'm looking forward to talking about the miles and points space later, just closing up Disney. The one thing I'll talk about is, like I said, it had been our first trip in a long time. So I went all out and stayed club level at Disney World, which is, I'm not going to say how much money it is. It's a lot of money. Okay. But uh, <laughs> yeah, every time I've ever looked at a Disney hotel and then looked at club level, I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, it's yeah a lot. don't don't look so you don't judge me. But anyway, <laughs> I do want to say, though, that I say club level at the Boardwalk Inn and the service at that club, it may be the best or top two or three service I've gotten at any club anywhere. That's, you know, being high globalist, which, by the way, terrible. I agree with whoever, whoever wrote that high globalist <laughs> is not worth it. I agree with that person. Listen to that person. Don't go for high globalist next year. But um, high globalist, Hilton Diamond, we have not been treated uh, with such... I guess, like good customer service in a long time. And I know the bar is low since the pandemic, but still the cast members who are working there were great. And I think the thing that really stood out the most to me compared to like a Regency club or even um, a nicer club for Hyatt or Hilton was there were like so many cast members around. When I go to these lounges, like when I went to the um, Grand Hyatt Lounge in Hong Kong or the Hyatt Regency or Grand Hyatt in Taiwan, excuse me, Taipei and the Hyatt Regency in Hong Kong, like there were club attendants, but it felt like there was maybe like just a couple. But here I felt like there was like a dozen people working at the same time. It just felt like there was always someone if you needed something. And the thing that they really went above and beyond is um, our youngest is allergic to dairy and I was texting their, their chef called us beforehand because they knew about the dairy allergy and talking about, you know, they told us what stuff um, she should avoid at uh, the various food offerings and stuff like that. And I was like, do you guys happen to carry oat milk? Because 
our daughter is like not only allergic, but she's super spoiled. So she prefers oat milk to almond. And she was like, let me see what I can do. And then they gave us, they gave us friggin' three gigantic jugs of oat milk, which I was like, I felt so bad. It just showed up in our fridge one day and they sent us a text that it was there. I felt so bad because I was like, there is no way we're going to finish this. You know, we, we like only finished like half of a thing, um, but they gave us so much. And it was just stuff like that, little things like that all the way, um, just how nice the cast members were to uh, our kids and to us as well. And also I did realize that they were actually short staffed. And I figured this out because shout out to this one woman, Brittany. I saw her every single day for seven days and I would see her like closing it down at 10. And then I would see her at 730 in the morning at breakfast. And I was like, yo, Brittany, what's going on? Why are you working 24 seven? And she's like, we're short staffed. And uh, she was great the whole time. And the whole, I would not have known they were short staffed unless I had noticed that Brittany was there the whole time. And that's just a testament to how great the service was. So if you're rolling in money, I, w- I was talking to Sean about this. Um, I would stay at club level at the boardwalk for many more nights than the two nights you get at the Galactic Star Cruiser and be happy spending, you know, that $6,000 or whatever. Yeah. And boardwalk is one of the nicer properties in all of Disney. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of Disney hotels, but that one is really cool. I haven't stayed there, but even when we were in Orlando a week and a half ago, riding the Skyliner and uh, just kind of going around property, we went to the boardwalk, had uh, you know, a drink, sit by the water, uh, the pool there is really cool. It's a really good property. It's good to hear that you get what you pay for with the concierge level, even if it is quite a lot uh, that you're paying for it. So one last thing about your trip, Joe. How was traveling with the family? How did the kids do after you know so long? The kids were great uh, in terms of flying and um, in general having good attitudes and stuff like that. They were pretty good, although uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you saw you know I was just randomly feeding them starbursts when I need them to get I needed to get them to do what uh, I needed them to do so there was a little bit of bribing bribery going on there the only thing that was really tricky which I hadn't realized was um, and I tweeted about this as well being at a theme park with three kids who have three like very different ride preferences and only two parents to deal with uh, did make things tricky it was almost always one of the kids who was on a ride didn't really want to be there but you know we could only split into three and two so that was tricky at times but uh we'll know that for next time honestly you know next time we go my oldest daughter she's going to be a disney adult scary 10 years old and getting to the point soon where she can go ride attractions by herself so maybe that'll make things easier but right now when the kids still need to ride with us it did get a little bit tricky because the kids they just had so many i like this attraction i don't like this attraction stuff and we were there for so long that they really got a feel for what they liked and didn't like so that was a headache at times but you know it's first world disney problems so 10 years old is the age where you become a disney adult is that is that it now yeah yeah that's when you have to pay i mean it's not that oh okay i get it oh i get tickets yeah yeah I just yeah. thought you, you know, they use the term Disney adult for all the weird people like us that like Disney. So. Oh, no, 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 ah, no. Okay. Those are Disney adult weirdos. Oh, yes. okay. I concur. <laughs> Mark is just a Disney Springs adult weirdo. There you go. It's just an outdoor bar area. It's cool. <laughs> all right. Well, let's talk a little bit about miles and points and Marriott uh, bonvoying everybody again, since we give Hyatt so much coverage on, on their stuff recently. But March 29th, we've known this is going to come for a while. But on March 29th, flexible point redemptions are taking the place of what they have now, which is like peak standard and non-peak rates. They sent us like a notice, Mark, right, that some of these hotels, like upwards of 200 hotels, are going to have significant changes in pricing. And how is it all going to work? 
with uh, when when these changes go into effect? Well, it's kind of like, you know, the peak and non-peak system and, and stuff like that. They have a range that they can move hotels to and it can go as high as I think 130,000 points a night, which is pretty crazy. And you'll see, you know, a lot of the better hotels people that people want to stay at are going to be going up, you know, 20, 30K a night at times. And this is just for next year. After that, it goes fully dynamic, which is even scarier because this sounds terrible as it is. And the fact that there's still like a category range right now over the next year. But, you know, after that, the hotels will kind of depend on what they want. And it just seems like the more and more we see this happening across the landscape is the more and more we're getting to fixed rate redemptions and fixed rate points. And, you know, the outside outsized value is going to be tougher and tougher to get. And we see this with airlines and now with hotels. And it's kind of the way it is going for the future, I think. I love how they always frame things as positives. You know, they're basically saying now nightly redemption rates will move more closely in line with the cash rates, giving members even more options to choose from. Like they always have to throw that language in, which I, you know, is always a red flag for that stuff. But like you said, most of the rates for this year, were going to fall in line with where they already were during the peak off peak pricing. Those 200 properties could go up to 30,000 points more. And, uh, you know, 2023 is, uh, free-for-all for whatever could possibly happen there. So Yeah, and I've heard that currently I think Marriott kind of sets the award prices, and then when it goes to Dynamic, the, the hotels will have more of the – it will kind of shift to them setting the prices. So I don't think that's really a great thing so much. They'll probably beef it up as much as they can to try to get as much out of it as they can. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Now, for people who have those certificates, I think uh, this week or very soon, they're going to start cashing in those like week-long certificates and giving people points for that. So if your balance of Marriott points jumps up, that could be what it is. I'm waiting for my certificate that I got like three years ago that I kept pushing out to cash in, and I think I should end up with a, a decent chunk of points. Of course, that's not going to be worth much under this new program. So Another thing we should point out is... Um... I think it was loyalty uh, lobby that that reached out to Marriott. I'm not 100% sure on that, but somebody reached out to Marriott and said, what about the redemptions for airlines? You know, you get a bonus if you redeem so much for airlines. And and that's been one of the better ways to use your uh, Bonvoy points. And Marriott basically said no comment. So if that's the the route you go, or if you have a stash and you kind of want to burn them down before this thing goes completely off the rails... Uh, you might want to do it sooner than later because I'm not sure how that's going to play out. It doesn't sound like it's going to be a, a good future for airline redemptions. And the other kind of thing about this is not just that it's going to more closely align with cash prices. It's that you're going to lose a lot of value in certain markets, right? Because we've seen this even recently where you look for a hotel in a market and every hotel's at least 40,000 points. So you can't use the 35K certs. And they've even said that as markets get expensive, all the hotels in that market will get repriced into higher categories. They also say that if it's cheap time, you know, everything could be very cheap. But my guess is that more often you'll see the expensive side of that. But so it might yeah, not even many, be good for how the many low non, end. How many non-peak hotels have you seen on Hyatt? Like on all my searches, I don't think I've seen one non-peak price. <laughs> Non-peak's a, a myth. <laughs> I've seen a few, but yeah, very, very rare to see that. So yeah, it's not even going to be maybe great for like the airport, you know, courtyard or anything like that. I feel like even those prices are going to go up significantly and I'm not sure how I plan to use mine. I'll just sort of fill it in along the way. But, you know, Hilton is largely revenue based at this point too. So it's not like uh, Marriott's really out on their own and almost always the Hilton points prices is reflected with what the cash price is. I don't ever really see any outsized value there anymore. 
No, and that's something I brought up in an article today about like how IHG is refreshing their program, and they've gone dynamic. Uh, they went really crazy with it uh, about a year ago, and everybody freaked out, so they brought it back a bit but you know we've seen everybody hilton got down there you know like a decade ago and just been waiting for everybody else to come and get in the mud with them but the interesting thing is hilton i've never really had a problem with it because they give out points so easily whether through credit card spend or paid stays promotions all that type of stuff and we're seeing this with like you know hyatt's changing prices increasing rates they haven't changed how you can earn really marriott doesn't have a great earning uh, side of things and and they're doing this where everything's going to cost more where at least IHG they did this but now they're rolling out the the refresh with the credit cards with better earn rates and then potentially something with the uh, the upper tier status you know we don't know what that's going to be until next month but I'm hopeful they give you some type of property credit and stuff so at least they're the one that is like potentially giving stuff back and I I'd rather have hotels be a little bit more expensive if it makes it easier to earn points uh, which is, is what they're doing. So it'll be interesting to see. So do you have any other predictions on what you think IHG is going to do? We have no knowledge or any idea of what they're possibly doing with their tiers next month. So I think it could be fun to guess. I think certainly breakfast or some sort of a credit would make sense to compete with the uh, other brands. Yeah, the fact that they're rolling out a whole new level tier and everything, and they've kind of like made it seem like it's going to be something, I don't think they're just going to roll out and be the same old, same old. So I expect some type of... Property credit would be my guess. Uh, I don't think their hotels have enough of a breakfast lineup like restaurants and stuff that you could rely on that where you're just going to get breakfast at every place. But I could see some type of, you know, you get a mini bar credit sometimes when you stay at Intercontinental, stuff like that. So maybe it'll just be a straight, here's a $20 property credit, $15, something along those lines. What do you think, Joe? I have no idea. No real clue what IHG is going to do. And then for Marriott don't really pay attention to Bonvoy. All I know is that I had 200,000 points and I immediately used them at the Walt Disney World Swan for a trip in the future, just in case to uh, protect myself. Yeah, that'll be one uh, night in the future. I know. So I got three (laughs) nights out of it now, you know, with some left over. But I think just the concept of standard rooms costing over 100,000 points just kind of blows my mind, regardless of what the value of those points are or used to be and it just makes me think that we are such a far way from what starwood was remember starwood guys it it just felt so much like nicer and like nice small numbers now it's like number creep regardless of what the actual value of the points is and so i i've never been a big bonvoy guy i wasn't even a huge starwood person either and i just feel like you know, this is another kind of nail in the coffin. But I also wonder, you know, like you were saying, I've seen a lot of peak pricing with Hyatt. I've gotten burned myself already booking Hyatt stuff where one of the nights of the four nights I'm looking at is off peak. So I think in my head it's 12,000. So it's going to be 48,000. But then actually three of those nights are on peak. So it's 57,000 total instead of 45,000. So like stuff like that is happening. And it just feels like, I don't know if everyone's trying to make their money back from the pandemic or whatever, but it it feels like it's getting worse and worse out there. And so we're going to have to figure out some new tricks or like you said, at least with Hilton, there's easy ways to earn them. And we just got to find ways to earn these points more and more. Yeah. I think that that increasingly will be a big differentiator. People who can earn and find ways to earn and and pad their bigger balances as inflation sets in on these programs and devaluations. And all those points have to go somewhere. The people haven't been spending them. Well, prices are going to go up, whether it's cash prices or points prices and 
yeah, we'll see it. Looking forward to IHG though, because it's you know maybe they're gonna do something a little different. Maybe they could do something like sweet upgrades, Mark, or something better room upgrades than what's available now. Although they do also have the competing factor of like in Intercontinental Hotels, the Ambassador, the Royal Ambassador Program, and Kimpton, the Inner Circle Program. So maybe not at those properties, but it seems like they're always trying to balance uh, their wide range of portfolio. But I'm looking forward to it because they seem to be very excited. Again, we don't know anything about what the changes will be, so we're not hinting at anything because we honestly don't know. But that'll be uh, fun to see coming uh, in March for IHG. All right, let's talk about the independent blogs or the state of the travel and points blogging world. As Ben Lucky wrote at One Mile at a Time a few weeks ago, we wanted to discuss this, but we waited for all three of us to be here since we had our vacations. And It's a good thing because I forgot what was in the article. <laughs> Whoops. I'm just kidding. Joe is going to quickly read the article again so he remembers (laughs) what was in it. No, but yeah, I mean, Ben talks about, you know, sort of his journey over the last 14 years of writing one mile at a time and how the blogosphere has changed. I launched Miles to Memories in 2013, so we're going on almost nine years now. So came around a little bit later than that, but certainly the landscape's changed significantly. And I don't know that a lot of people out there kind of understand the difference between some of these corporate sites, what an independent site is. And, you know, I'm always appreciative of One Mile at a Time for being independent and sort of leading the way in that way. But we've all at some point either had our own site or we write for independent sites, right? Miles to Memories is completely independent. Mark and I run it. And, you know, we make all the decisions as to what content goes out there and uh, what you guys hear. Joe, of course, has written freelance for sites. So you've worked on the corporate side a little bit as a freelancer, but also owned your own site and brand. And of course, continue to do that with Disney Deciphered and everything else. So yeah, I think this will be a fun thing to talk about. Where do you guys want to start? One thing I think might be useful to clarify for our listeners is someone might ask, wait, Sean is saying Miles to Memories is an independent site, but what's the deal with boarding area? Isn't boarding area the site that you write for? And, you know, so I think it'd be good for you to explain what exactly that relationship is and why you and Ben are still both independent sites, even though you're on boarding area. Yeah, so boarding area is run by House of Miles, run basically by somebody named Randy Peterson, who they called for the long time the godfather of miles and points. But he started Flyer Talk, a bunch of other stuff. But back in the day, he sort of started this blog network boarding area to be able to bring bloggers together, kind of strengthen numbers sort of thing. So they sell ads and stuff like that. But ever since the beginning of boarding area, the bloggers on boarding area own their own sites and everything is independent. So Randy and House of Miles and boarding area doesn't tell anybody what to write, doesn't have control over the content. Basically, they provide that network. They feed us, you know, traffic from their homepage. They sell our ads, like the display ads that you see, and that's really it. So each blog on Boarding Area is completely independent, whether it be Frequent Miler or View from the Wing or One Mile at a Time or Miles to Memories, uh, Live and Let Fly, or any of the other blogs on the network. Everybody sort of writes and does their own thing. So uh, there's no influence at all by boarding area. It's more really of a sort of loose network of blogs that are all independently owned. Yeah, we see this in the corporate world. Like when I worked in uh, for my previous employer, they were an independent family owned industrial laundry. And they were in this network, uh, CES, I believe it was called. And it was like all these different independent laundries across the country would get together and they formed like a buying group so they could buy product at discounts that, you know, um, um, multinational corporation gets the same break on because they're all together buying from this one place. So it's similar to that. Like 
you get all these uh, blogs together and then you can go to an ad person and be like, hey, we have this many blogs, this many views. Give us a better rate than you would if it was just me and Sean going out there uh, trying to negotiate it. So makes things a little bit easier on our end too. less stuff we have to worry about. And the other thing that they do for us is they host the site. So they handle all the kind of technical back end which can be a little difficult if anybody's ever started a site and you don't really know how things are. It's gotten a lot better with WordPress and Squarespace and other services, but they handle all the technical stuff on the back end. So if something goes wrong, they do that. They handle all the hosting. Basically, they split ad revenue with the bloggers. Now, onboarding area, the bloggers are all free to have affiliate links or other marketing partnerships and things like that. Um, So yeah, when we talk about independent, I would say basically you know, voices of people who own the content where they don't have corporate partnerships. But there have been a few kind of interesting things that have happened in this space over the last few years. We've seen independent blogs get sold, right? They get sold to companies that come in and in some cases they basically are have the original owners have nothing to do with them. In some cases, the original owner stays on and writes occasionally. Even blogs that are have a specific name, um, like Renee's Points, for instance, got sold for a while and then it turned into another name, Eye of the Flyer. But for a while, it was Renee's points, but it was owned by somebody else. But Renee wrote for that, and you know it gets a little complicated. We've seen a lot of these blogs go into corporate hands. We've also seen companies like CNN and Business Insider and Forbes, you know, basically get into this space where they're using you know their strength as a brand to work in the affiliate space, and that's been something that's been very difficult. And then also there's you know these SEO sites that have popped up, basically publishing article after article really designed to get SEO traffic. And they're not really about building communities or more of the independent thought. They're more, I don't know, they're, they may be in some cases independent, but just more machine-like. Guide, I don't know. guide regurgitations, basically, <laughs> is what I would call it. Like they find something that's popular, searched and write and, and read other people's work, put it together in a way that will rank very well. And then they publish it. And then whenever you search for that, like, let's say you want to say, hey, what can I use Delta Amex airline incidental for? And that will be like one of the first ones that popped up because they realized a lot of people search for it. So they just go and write this guide specifically to rank high on Google. You know, they don't have a lot. It's a lot of one off traffic. It's not a community built or or loyal readers because there's no personality to it, really. I think the thing that I don't know if bothers or concerns is the right. I don't know what the exact right verb is, but whatever the verb is to me the most and i'll use by way of an example you know there was a saturday night live um reviewer named dennis perkins who i really like to read his work uh he used to write for the av club he was technically a freelancer but the av club is owned by i think github media or geo media or something like that and they are just some corporate company that doesn't know anything about television and they bought the website. And then they were basically forcing people from Chicago to move to Los Angeles to like work there uh, to still continue to write for AV Club. And so those people in Chicago refused to move. And so they were fired. And then a bunch of AV Club's freelancers left as well. The reason why I bring this story up is because there are companies or there are blogs that have been bought by these big companies that aren't about miles and points. They're just, you know, venture. I mean, Red Ventures is a venture capitalist company. They're just trying to make good investments. And I'm always worried, you know, I know that uh, the points guy, they have some editors right now who are focused on miles and points and stuff like that. But eventually, especially when money is not being made, it is these executives who have no idea what miles and points are like, what a community is like, who are making these decisions. And going back to the AV club, you know, the people 
who made the decisions about forcing the people to move, they had no idea, you know, what makes the AV club one of, or used to be one of people's preferred sites or Deadspin. It happened the same thing, Deadspin, uh, you know, in the sports world. And so when these corporate entities are making decisions for these formerly independent sites, I think that's what really scares me because say what you want about miles to memories or one mile at a time, like you can hate the content that Sean, Mark and Ben put out, but you can't say that they're putting out content that someone is forcing them to put out, right? If you don't like Mark's articles, well, Mark's the one who decided to write them. So that's <laughs> fine. You just don't like Mark, right? And at the very least, we can respect the fact that, Mark, you're writing what you want to write. You know what I'm saying? The scary thing about all this big money coming in from venture capitalists and companies that aren't originally focused on miles and points is what happens when the stuff that gets written isn't what the writers want to write. You know, and we all understand that like some articles need to be written. Like you're always going to have to write the article about the new credit card. Like every site is going to do that. It's not like a fun article or like a passion project or anything like that. But the less blogs uh, and even podcasts become independent because uh, we just saw that Disney, they're going to start releasing their own plan Disney podcast, just taking it to another travel sector. You know, the more that corporate people are making the decisions, I think the worse the space is all these spaces are going to be off overall in terms of the content that they're spitting out. So I think that's the sad thing about all this corporate money at the same time, you know, maybe some of the, I mean, a lot of sites, they don't survive unless they do get bought. So I don't know where the solution is, but it's just um, something that has always interested me about the business and it just continues to evolve as well. And it really depends on your perspective too, because there may be people out there screaming and saying, well, some of these corporate sites are better than independent sites. And I mean, there are, we talked about the Galactic Star Cruiser, right? The people who got invited to that, the, the sites did, those are big sites, right? They have better resources, the ability to cover more things. They get invited more places. They get more exclusivity with brands. Um, you don't get uh, the disclosure a lot of time at the same level, so you don't really understand the partnership. For instance, you know, in the past, you know, some big miles and points sites have had partnerships with hotel programs and you know, it was pretty clear, I think, as a reader that maybe that was getting influenced, but that was never disclosed. So, you know, there's definitely independent people who don't disclose things either. So I think a lot of it is just kind of gaining trust. But yeah, it gets difficult when a brand gets sold because who's now running that brand and deciding, you know, what happens with it. And we've seen brands like Million Mile Secrets struggle mightily after getting sold when the founder left. And it does change things quite a bit. And to your point, though, it's very, very difficult to make money in this space. It's gotten very crowded. And then uh, Ben even makes a great point about competing with SEO with some of these big sites. It's very hard for milestomemories.com to compete with CNN.com for SEO just because of the way that Google works with the algorithms. And, you know, we found ways to, to be able to kind of carve out our own brand and our uniqueness and convey things that way. But it's certainly a challenging space. And another point he makes is, you have to be persistent to really survive independently in any blog, not just in miles and points anywhere, because it's always an uphill battle. Things are changing. And generally, the changes haven't been positive for the smaller players out there. Yeah, and I've, I found it was it's interesting uh, when you look at some of the sites that have been purchased and, you know, they go out and hire a lot of college journalists majors that, you know, they just are there to write. They don't really know exactly what they're talking about, at least to start out. I think they figure it all out along the way. but. They're, they just, you know, search stuff, find out the info, and then regurgitate it, uh, you know, on their site type of thing. So you see a lot of that, which is interesting, but it's hard to, to know when you're just reading it or you're finding it from Google, who knows what and who's actually 
been doing it for themselves and, and stuff like that. So I think that always takes people a while to, to figure out. It took me a while to figure out when I first started getting into this stuff, you know, which sites you could trust more and which ones you couldn't. Um, so I think that's an interesting path everybody has to get through. And once they get into the space, hey, at least the one good thing about these the bigger sites is they are bringing people into it to, to learn about miles and points, and then they kind of figure their way from there. So, uh, you know, back to Joe's point a, a bit, I always find it strange when these entities make people move, like I think if you work for the points guy, you have to move to New York, which I never really understood unless you're a, you know, a part-time writer or stuff. But if you're a full-time staff member, I think they make you move, which I never understood. Like you can write from anywhere and you're writing about travel. Like you think you'd want people out and about and from all different parts of the world, but for whatever reason, they want them in this office in New York, which probably costs a huge pretty penny just to have people in the office, which is another thing I don't understand, but I always find that kind of funny. Yeah, it's like, especially after the pandemic, where everyone knows how to work from home now, this is like the most nonsensical time. This is what happened with AV Club as well. This is the most nonsensical time to make people move somewhere for a job where you're working online. So I I don't get it. But, you know, I think I I can't speak for whatever happens at the points guy. I know that they've lost a couple of writers recently, but I can't speak for because I know because AV Club, they put all their laundry out there. It's not even like the editors or not even their direct bosses were the ones telling them to move. It was above them. So it was like people who were completely removed from the situation were the ones saying you have to move to L.A., which, of course, L.A., you know, move to L.A., move to New York the cost of living it's gonna skyrocket like are you getting a raise with that so that's that's the scary thing about these big sites like uh or sorry the big corporations like the big corporations they give a lot of resources which means you can get a lot more information there which is hopefully factual but at the same time if the people making the decisions you know we've seen this everywhere if the people making the decisions don't know what's going on on the ground they're not going to make the best decisions for the site even if they're trying to make the best decisions for the site yeah it's a tough balance and there's i think a place for all these different types of entities whether it be corporate or independent blogs uh, podcasts videos and of course we see independent creators on like instagram that don't have you know blogs but they're creating great instagram content or great tiktok content and the content really has changed, and I feel like uh, there are some advantages for people on social media, but it's very difficult for them to make any money, and then uh, to the point of how much you have to persist before you can really be successful. You got to do this for a long time before you can make money, which makes it more difficult. But you know, to bring it back to us, I think one of the coolest things about us is that we have sort of a diverse range of people who who write about different things, and. Mark and I don't always approach every article with, okay, what's the return on investment here? It's more on are we providing a unique <laughs> angle? <laughs> most oh. articles, uh, I mean, yeah. to be totally honest, most articles are a huge le- uh, loser as far as uh, economics go. Like a lot of the, the stuff that we pay our uh, writers that aren't full time, you know, like we have a, a whole bunch of guest posts coming in and out right now because it's unique, interesting content. It's not, we're going to lose money on every single one of them. But that's not why we do it. You know, we want to give you value, hopefully, that you see that and you you come back and you and you keep reading and, and find interesting stuff from different uh, perspectives. And then whenever you do, whenever you can support us in the future, you come back and, and pay us back in that way. But yeah, most of the stuff stuff is definitely not profitable. Yeah, I mean, Ben said that trip reports are like the least profitable thing. Yes, and, they're terrible. Yeah, and... <laughs> to write, too. <laughs> But I think the great thing about independent content is people can write what they want. And maybe every once in a while, one of those pieces goes viral. But 
either way, you know, that's what gives each independent site, including Miles Memories, their own personality. And that's kind of why you keep coming back. Like, you know, I come back for Mark's amazing headlines every single time, you know, because I love them so much, you know? So, um, I do have one suggestion for you guys though. I know I'm not involved in the business side, but if you start paying Danny by the word, you'll start making a lot more money. Cause you know, it's just 200 <laughs> words per article. You guys are gonna be rolling in dough. There you go. One, one last thing I wanted to point out that he brings up that I thought was interesting. He's like, you know, sometimes when you see these articles that you're like, why'd they write this? Or this doesn't seem to go with it. And they're trying to get, you know, a bigger art- audience of traffic. And some of it is like a clickbaity type stuff, and and some of it's more like, hey, this flight attendant got uh, you know punched in the face type of things. And uh, we've even seen it like when I wrote about DoorDash because people seem to be interested, and people will run to the comments and say, this isn't about travel. It's like, well, sometimes you have to branch out a bit, you know, to to bring new people in or to reach a different audience because a lot of our best long term performing stuff is is not travel related because we just can't rank in that area. And we always see that people find value in it anyway. So that's why we kind of branch out into different uh, areas and talk about finance and talk about, you know, making extra money, doing different things and bank bonuses and, and stuff like that, because you kind of have to cast a wide net at times. And not everything is meant for the everyday reader because of that. Yeah, And I think that feeds into really getting to know the personalities behind a site and, and enjoying that. And we've always really done finance stuff and tried to go beyond just the, the miles and points stuff. And like to the DoorDash stuff, and you know that's interesting. It's you. It's it's you're sharing real world experiences. It's not written because you decided we needed to rank for SEO for DoorDash. It's written because you're trying something new, sharing it. And I think that's really the cool thing about independent media, whether it be podcasts like this one, or YouTube channels, or blogs, or whatever. And Joe, you made that point about Disney starting a, a, their own Disney podcast, right? There these lines between you know corporations creating their own narrative about their brand and then fans and people covering it are going to get blurred and how many people are going to listen to that Disney podcast right off the bat is probably going to be the biggest Disney podcast right just from the beginning or very much among them and so it just becomes harder and harder and independent you know unique voices are important it's like it's why like gotta, watching... why you got to rub in why you got to rub in that Disney's owns podcast listenership is going to destroy mine huh? <laughs> i gotta rub that in sean come on well it's, it's even like when you watch uh like a, a sports broadcast like of your favorite team if you're right watching uh the detroit tigers game or the new york mets game like those announcers work for the detroit tigers or the new york mets they don't that's why they don't say anything bad they don't say well that was a really dumb decision or this guy really stink like they're not going to give you that honest opinion because their paycheck Yo, Keith comes does not hold back bro let me say for the Mets well, that's, broadcast. That's because the the Mets broke him so so hard. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Who haven't the Mets? Right? Who haven't the Mets broken, Mark? <laughs> but you get that perspective. Like it's all like they they say it in a nice way. They might be like, oh, that's terrible. But they do it in like the nicest way possible because the check actually comes from the team. So you always have to worry about that. And you know, look at it. You go to your sports talk radio and they just blow the, the people up right away. But. Uh, when you're listening to the broadcast, it's a bit different. And that's why we give you uh, many ways to come at us. Uh, if you don't like what we write, if you don't like what Mark writes, you can yell at him in our Facebook group. Why is uh, it always can... me, man? Why is it always <laughs> Yeah, why always Mark? Why always it's Mark? It's not always you. Understand. It's not always you. Yeah. I, lots of people hate me, too. It's okay. Why always Mark? And then why Ryan second? Ryan S., to be clear. Yeah. Well, yeah. He does get uh, he gets his fair share of stuff. But we do have the community, our Facebook community. We do also have the Patreon 
uh, insert a shameless plug here at the end, but patreon.com forward slash miles to memories, which is our, you know, way to dive in deeper where we have our entire team active in the Slack and Facebook creating shows, you know, doing meetups with people trying to, if you really want, like this hobby, if you really want it to be something more, uh, then we try to, to make that cool for you. And, you know, for this show, we also have links, you know, if you ever find value in our stuff and you want to support us at mtmpodcast.com, just a reminder that whether you do that or not, we appreciate everybody who listens to this show. And uh, Joe's think... editing ain't cheap, man. Come on. <laughs> Speaking of Joe, I, I gave Joe. Um, by the way, I wanted to take a meeting after this. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> a business meeting. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, click. Uh, we're breaking up here. No, Joe, where can people find you when they're not listening to this uh, fine podcast? You can uh, find me at As Joe Flies all over social media. If you are looking to book a trip to Disney or Disney Cruise Line or whatever, asjoeflies.com, you can fill out my form there. What about you, Mark? Yeah, whenever uh, the Star Wars Hotel goes to 95% off, I'll, I'll definitely look you up and, and get that booked. But you Mark, can... if it goes 95% off, you and me will just go together. <laughs> there you go. Leave the kids at home. Forget about it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Detroit Mark. Email me, Mark, at milestomemories.com. Comment on any of the articles, and I'll get back to you there. Uh, lots of ways. Facebook groups, of course. How about you, Sean? Yeah, milestomemories.com for all of our podcasts, videos, posts. You know, we have about, what, 50 posts a week. Mark and I do the MTM Vegas show on our YouTube channel. That's also a podcast. We have this podcast as well. So uh, our Facebook group, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, everything at Miles to Memories. So contact latest, us however you want. Latest it's MTM uh, Vegas video, shooting to 100K. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. That's our, our first podcast video that's going to get to 100K on the Vegas side. And uh, we're excited about that. So lots of cool things if you like Vegas over there as well. But you can find everything at milestomemories.com. And thank you so much for listening, for following all these years, for continuing to engage with us. We really do appreciate it. This is uh, such a fun job, and you guys out there make it so much more fun most of the time. Unless you're trolling us, but we still like that too. I still have fun with that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time. See ya. This is like died. <laughs> no, I just I got this Yo, gardener. Can, like, you hear, can you hear the gardener in my background? I cannot. I this can't. is just I've waited weeks to be back with you guys, and this is just so smooth <laughs> and fluid and natural. I was and hoping just, you would one of you guys would say something. It's like so episode three. <laughs> I'm just I'm just loving it. I'm just loving I'm just loving the free flowing conversation on the Miles to Memories podcast. And the boardwalk itself is probably my favorite, I think, of all the resorts there just to hang around because they have an actual boardwalk with sh uh, with shops and restaurants and just the atmosphere is really cool. One of the nicer pools uh, in all Disney properties. So. What? Did I say sh what? I was saying ships and then I was changing yeah. changed it because I meant yeah, sure. it. Yeah, it came out. It came out. It did? Okay. Well, because yeah, I, I cut myself no, I off mean, and I switched to, to something be, else. To, yeah. to be fair, it came out shit, but you know, we <laughs> yeah. knew what you were trying to say. No, I was going to say ship, and then I'm like, what? Anyway. Uh, we better start the whole it. thing over. <laughs>